Um, I wanted to start this morning by sharing a saying that uh, I've used many times with our youth, and I've probably shared it with several of you as well. So if if we can just have the first slide up. Just remember, you are unique. You only have to look around the room this morning, and, and you'll see the truth of that statement. And, you know, in fact, this morning, in this room, and in, in the whole world, throughout all of history, there never has been and never will be anybody quite like you. You're unique. Isn't that a really cool thought? Isn't it? Who you are, how you behave, the way you think, the way you speak, the way you live your life is completely unique to you. Just remember, you are unique. Second slide. Just like everyone else. (laughs) Slightly amusing, maybe, but... You know, you can really start to unpack that saying. And, and in fact, I have a whole message based on this. Um, however, it's not this saying that we'll be focusing on this morning. But it does connect to the passage that we look at. So if you've got your Bible with you, can you turn with me to Psalm 139? It's an incredible psalm that tells us just how intimately God knows us. It tells us that he is ever present in our lives, even when we ourselves are unaware of his presence. It tells us that even when we see ourselves as, as maybe sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes maybe you think of yourself as a nobody or just Mr. or Mrs. Ordinary. Not special, not interesting, uninteresting. But you know, God sees us in a very different way. He sees us as unique and incredible individuals. And as we go through the psalm, I just hope that we can take on board what the psalmist is saying and and apply its truth to our own lives. So the psalm's attributed to David, and um, shall I move this down a bit? Sorry. I I know what he's thinking over there. (laughs) So the psalm's attributed to David, and it's broken down into really four sections. And If you read carefully, it it almost reads like a prayer. You know, it's a personal conversation between the psalmist and the Lord. And so as we read through it, I just want you to, to, in your own head, as we read through it, say it to the Lord. Apply the truth of the words to yourselves this morning. So as you're reading it and you get the words I and you, have that conversation with God. So let's just read the first six verses. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You have me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to attain. So the psalmist starts with, you've searched me and you know me. The word searched is uh, uh, really to examine intimately every 
aspect of who you are. You know, God's done an in-depth analysis of who he is, and he knows David. And if you've done what I've suggested, if you're thinking this through in your own mind, if you're saying this in your own head, then um, maybe you're feeling a little bit nervous right now. How well does God know David? How well do you really understand that God knows you? It says that he knows when you sit down and when you rise up. He knows when you're taking a break. He knows when you're ringing in work and saying you're sick when maybe really you're not. He knows when you've got work to do and you really can't be bothered. He knows when you're out there and being active. He knows when you're helping people and when you're being selfish. He knows when you rise, when you sit, and he perceives your thoughts from afar. Now, that that doesn't mean from a distance. What he's saying is, as the thoughts are beginning to develop in your mind, he already knows them. Before you form them, before you've even understood what you're going to think, God knows them. He discerns you're going out. And you're lying down. Essentially, he knows, you know, your whole day. He knows your whole night. He knows you. Think about verse 4. You know, how many times have you said something that you immediately regret? No one. Wow, okay, cool. Yeah, you have. You know, that time when as soon as you can even, it's almost like you can see them coming out of your mouth and you're going, no. But it's too late. But, you know, even before it appeared in your mind, even before you established it, even before you started to speak, God knew that you were going to say what you said. I just want you to think about that for a moment because I don't know about you, but in those moments, and I don't do it, a lot, and maybe I don't do it enough, but, but in those times when I really get my head around the idea that God knows me fully, I get a little bit nervous. Maybe you don't. He knows my thoughts, my, motion, my motives, my actions. He knows the things I do in public. He knows the things I do in secret. I get a bit nervous. But you know what else I know? I know the truth that he still loves me. Even knowing our every action, our every thought, our motive, God still loves us. And not only does he love us, he wants to be there for us. He wants us to know his protection and his care. Verse 5. You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Don't you find that incredible? With all of our faults and failings and bad intention, willing or unwilling, God still lays his hand on us. He still wants us to know that he guards us and encloses us. The the word means to encamp, 
before and behind. To be fully surrounded in that protective shield of who God is. And as we grasp that, like David, we should be saying, you know, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty to attain. You know, when I look at my life and and I look at the things that I do, even I wouldn't want to love me, to protect me. I'd be thinking, no. But that's not how God thinks. It's not how he acts. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die when you were good. In fact, if you were good, he wouldn't need to die. So if he can do that when we're in the state that we are, what does that tell you about his love? But you know, one of the saddest and and yet one of the most common things for us to do when we sin or stumble or, or, or we act in a way that we know is not right is we try and run from the Lord, don't we? Ever done that? We start thinking that we need to get away and and when we sort ourselves out, maybe we'll come back. And and it's usually because we haven't really grasped who God really is. When you think about it, where on earth or even off earth do you think you can go and get away from God? Really? Have you ever stopped to think that? Where can you go to get away from God? David asked the question in verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So David, sort of in the first four verses, talks about the... the um, the omniscience of God. And, you, know, omniscient, you know the words omniscient, omnipresent. It's, it's a combination of two words, omni meaning all. So the first four verses talk about the all science, the omniscience, the all knowing, the study of everything. God knows you. He knows all about you. And now David is talking about the omnipresence of God, the all presence. And I said, how many of you have tried in your lives to run away from the Lord? Be honest. Just put your hand up. Wow. Stop it. And we use phrases, don't we? There were common phrases, the Christian phrases. Well, I, I kind of departed from the Lord for a while. I, I, I sort of went my own way. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I left the Lord and then I came back to the Lord. Have you ever said that? Have you used that word? I'm looking at you, Clive. So, no, never. What phrase did you use the other day? You turned around and walked away. 
And we do, we say that because that's how we feel or that's how we think or that's how we perceive it, isn't it? Like we're somehow able to leave God behind. It's not like you can outrun him. It's not, you know what, I'm going to go up to London because, you know, God's definitely not in London. Russia, I've been there. Guess who was there? God. It's even in Italy. It's true. I read a a lovely prayer from a child recently. Uh, A family were moving house and their little boy, I I don't know how old, but um, on the day of the move, he went up to his room to pray. And he went something like this. Dear Lord, I'm sorry to tell you that uh, I won't be here anymore. We're moving. I'll try my best to write. But it's so cute, isn't it? But you know, it really highlights a fault in our thinking when we think we can run away from God. Now, that's not to say that you can't ignore God. You can. You can choose to say, I'm not going to accept your presence here. I don't want you to be involved. I want to think about you. I'm not going to interact with you. But you know what? Even when you do that, God's still there. You can't get away from that truth, no matter how hard you try. So look at what Dave's saying. Uh, Dave? He's <laughs> a good friend of mine. <laughs> We're going to chill out when I get to heaven, me and Dave. David's saying, you know, if I go up to the heavens, and I don't think he's talking about the spiritual heaven. I think he's looking up at the sky, and he's looking out at, at the expanse, the stars, the universe, and he's going, you know, even if I go up there, out there, You're there. You know, we've got the astronauts, aren't we, um, that are preparing to go to Mars. That's a one-way trip. They ain't coming back. But, you know, when they get to Mars and they get out into their little cubicle, guess who's going to be there? Even if I go into the depths, you are there. You know, some translations use the word sheol. Even if I go into the grave. You know, God's here on this side of life and on the other side of life. There's no way you're going to get away from him. If I rise up on the wings of the dawn or if I settle on the far side of the sea, where, where does the sun rise? In the east. And if you look at Israel on a map, what's over to the west? Everybody's suddenly going. Oh, it. It's the sea. So David's looking from, from his vantage point in Israel and saying, you know, even, where, if, even if I go all the way to where the sun rises, even if I, I'm there, God's there, all the way over to the east. As far as the eye can see, when the sun comes up, there's God. To the west, if I go out right over the ocean, there's God. Jonah tried using the ocean, didn't he, to get away from God? That didn't work. God was there when he was on the boat when he went over the boat, when he was in the water, when he got eaten by the big fish. Where was God? He was right there. Talking to Jonah 
in the belly. I mean, if you're going to hide anywhere, that's a pretty cool place to hide. Not with God. There's nowhere we can go where God isn't. You know, I remember as a kid, I used to sneak, sneak sweets or biscuits into my room. So that, what? So that I could have a snack at nighttime. Kind of used to make a, a, a tent under my covers and read with a torch so that nobody knew I was awake. Ever done that? Yeah, of course you have. My kids still do it today. They think I don't know. I do. (laughs) Nothing new under the sun. But, you know, my mum would come in, and even if she did come in, she'd realize I was awake. But because the sweets were under the cover, she didn't know I was sneaking biscuits and things. So I I think she did. But they were hidden from sight. And, you know, when we do things wrong, when we walk in sin or, 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 or when we, we, we just want something completely for ourselves, how often? I think it's interesting there's this correlation between most crime happens at night and so does most sin. We seem to think that under the cover of darkness, nobody else can see our little secret place. Well, God sees it. He's always there. He's ever present. So we know that God knows everything about us, and we know that there's nowhere we can hide from him. So, you know, if you understand that, if you begin to understand that, doesn't it make a little bit more sense to just accept that God is very much a part of our lives? You can't get away from him. He knows exactly who you are, so doesn't it make sense? To just go, you know what, God? You you might as well be a part of my life. I'm going the wrong way. But so often we can find ourselves in a place where we just want God to be an observer. We don't want him to get involved. Yeah? Wouldn't it just be so much better in our lives to allow God to be a friend, a comforter, a helper, a guide. Wouldn't that be a better way to have God interacting with your life? You know, if we go back to the beginning of this morning, we looked at uh, uh, the quote, just remember, you are unique. Where do you think that uniqueness comes from? Do you think it's just a combination of of nature and nurture, a series of choices and experiences that made you who you are? There's a truth to that. There is. It's undeniable. You know, maybe the choice, but if you think about it, maybe the choices you have made and even the choices you will make would be different if you understood an even greater truth. You are not here by accident. just want to let that one sink in for a moment. You're here deliberately. And you have a purpose. And it's a purpose that's unique to you. Let's read verses 13 through 18. For you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. You know, we see a similar theme in in Jeremiah 1, don't we? When God tells Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Who set Jeremiah to be a prophet? God did. Who formed him in his mother's womb? God did. When was Jeremiah set apart to be a prophet to the nations? At the time he was called? But you see, I think that was God's plan for Jeremiah before Jeremiah even took his first breath. And I believe that every single one of us has a purpose that God has already planned out for us. I do. It took me 27 years to realize it. And some people sadly go through their whole lives without realizing it, without knowing their plan, or rather God's plan for their lives. It's a little bit sad. So God doesn't just know you. God isn't just always present in your life. God is the very one who made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were put together, knit together, woven together by God himself. And your days have been written and known by the Lord and have been known before you were born. You know, I remember asking both my father and later my mother about why they split up. And they split up when I was very young. And um, both of them, told me, I I think they were, you know, being honest, but both of them told me honestly that neither of them were expecting me. I was a bit of a surprise, and they certainly weren't prepared to have me. So they separated, and at the time, I was really hurt and sad. Um, But I, I kind of put on a brave face and said, yeah, I understand. However, you know, now I think about it very differently. Now I know that even though they were not ready for me, God's always been ready for me. Even though they didn't expect me, God expected me. And he had a plan for me, still has a plan for me. Little old me. Moreover, he has a plan for you. And you know what? You are the only one 
that can execute it. You. Your plan from God for you. And if you have any doubts about how much God is interested in your life, just reread verses 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. You know, when I'm awake, I'm still with you. Do you remember, um, I can't, I'm really embarrassed now, I should have looked this up first. But there's another psalm where David, you know, the idea is that David's lying on his back and he's looking out at the universe. He's looking at all the stars and and he says, you know, "Look look at the vastness of everything there is. Who am I that you would consider me? Ever feel that way? Who am I that God would consider me? You are the one that are fearfully and wonderfully made by him to fulfill a plan that he has for you and you're the only one that can fulfill it. So my question this morning is, are you looking for God's plan in your life? Or are you trying to do it all your own way? Will you take some time to seek God's will for your life, to to live out the plan that he's laid out for you? Or will you do what so many people in this world do and try to be something other than who God made you to be? You know, we live in a very commercial society. And, and the, the reality of commercialism is it's all about getting you to buy the products so that they can make the money. Oh, that's the truth of it. But you'll be told over and over and over and over and over and over and over, have I made my point? Again, that unless you look like this, you're nothing. And I think God's, I think it saddens God that we live in a world that tries to, to, to tell us how we should look or what we should have or how we should live. You know, I believe God's telling us that, that we were made exactly as he wanted us to be. And you know what? If it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me. Because to try and be anything else is kind of like saying to God, you know what, God? I think you made a mistake. I'm going to run away from God. No, you're not. God, you made a mistake. No, I didn't. God doesn't make mistakes. No, it's not about how you feel about yourself. It's about the truth of who you are because God made you. You know, somebody um, in advertising once said, you know, if all the women in America woke up in the morning and were happy with who they were, that would be the end of... I can't remember the word, but you know what I mean. Sad, isn't it? You get a laugh when you can't even remember it. You should shut up more often. He didn't make a mistake when he made me. 
You know, I know there were some of you that probably think he did, but he didn't. And he certainly didn't make a mistake when he made you. Because God doesn't make mistakes. So let's just finish the psalm, verses 19 through 24. If only you would slay the wicked, O Lord. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. I don't want to focus too much on 19 through 22. Just before I do, I just think it's really important I make this point. Um, You know, I just want to say, I'm I'm not saying that it's not right to look nice. Just want to make that point clear. You know, there's nothing wrong with with wanting to spruce up our appearance or to to present ourselves in a better way. You know, I'm not trying to say that. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. The problem I have is when people feel that they have to do that in order for them to have an identity that they're happy with. Does that make sense? That's the bit I have a problem with. God made you to be who you are, be happy with who you are. You know, if you want to, well, I don't want you to dye your hair, fine, dye your hair, but... But don't let dyed hair be your identity. I've got to be a blonde. I've got to be a redhead. I look terrible as a brown head. You know, sorry, that's going off on one. Um, You know, I don't want to focus on verse 19 to 22, he says, catching up. Except to say that uh, as believers, we're called to love our enemies, aren't we? So when you hit verses like this, it, it, it kind of sort of, how do these verses fit that calling? And and I just want to sort of point out, Scripture tells us we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Doesn't it? No, we've got to be in it, but we shouldn't be a part of it. We're to, to, to love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah? We're called to love people. We're not called to love their ways. Especially if those ways are contrary to God. And, you know, we can fall into a problem if we love what God hates or we hate what God loves. So I think it's, um, you know, we need to be alive to what God loves and what God hates. And like the psalmist, we, we need to align ourselves with God's way of thinking. I think that's what David's talking about. He's talking about a righteous anger. Um, you know, he wants to hate the things that God hates. He wants to love the things that God loves. And that should be our heart. And so David finishes the psalm in verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a great prayer to pray.
You know, David starts the psalm with, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And now David is saying again, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You know, throughout the psalm, we see that God knows us more than we know ourselves. He's more aware of who we are than we are. He knows our true motives and desires, even when we don't. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure, who can understand it? So if we can be deceived by our own hearts, if we, by our own hearts, can deceive others, surely the best place to go is the Lord. But we need to be willing to allow the Lord to search us and to reveal those areas in our life that need to change. And then we need to allow him to change them. So just remember, you're known by God because he made you. You're unique. There's no way you can hide from the Lord, but you can choose to ignore him. But if you do, you know, you're ignoring the greatest plan for your life. His plan for your life is perfect. And you're the only one that can live it the way it's meant to be lived. You're unique. Be unique. Do it God's way. Because it's worth doing it that way. As I was about to say, you're worth it. But you are. We all are. 